Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. I love that. Let's just keep on singing that song. Is that cool with you guys? Can we just do that? Goodness, man, that's, that's preaching all the sermon we need right there. Oh, man, I love that. I really do want to sing that song again. Um, that's so true, man. We are free. We are free. And I love that. I didn't look at the songs this week, and so I, I, that's one of my favorite songs. I love it. There's just so much, it's so much truth to it. It is powerful because it is true. It is true. Because of Jesus Christ, we are free. And there's a couple of words. There's three words. Uh, the subtitle of the, the series we're about to kick off, which is the Galatians series. Talked about it before. We're going to be in this series for a few weeks now. I'm really excited about this. But there's three words that you're going to see underneath that, faith, truth, and freedom. And uh, those, kind of, uh, those words right there, if you had to kind of define um, Galatians, what this book is all about, those three words kind of encapsulate what this book is about, our faith, our faith in who? In Jesus Christ alone, grace alone, Jesus alone, and knowing, understanding the truth of the gospel. When we understand the truth of the gospel, we apply the truth of our gospel, the truth of the gospel to our lives every day, that is when we can begin to live in the freedom that Christ died to give us. That's, in a nutshell, what this book is all about, man. I love this book. It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. It's a smaller book found in the New Testament, Galatians. You'll find it there um, in, the, in the New Testament. It's a smaller book, but, but here's the thing. Don't think that just because it's a smaller book that there ain't much there. I'm going to tell you something. It is a small book, but it packs a big punch. There is so much meat to this book, so much in this book that we can apply to our lives, so much that will change and transform our lives, um, so many truths of God that will change and transform our lives if we will allow it to. Um, this book, Galatians, is actually being called the Declaration of Independence um, of Christian Liberty. Declaration of Independence of Christian Liberty. I love that, man. And it's been, um, it's been revered, it's been thought of by many people, including the late Martin Luther, as one of the most impactful books in the entire Bible. Martin Luther actually said that he would read this book before the book of Romans. The reason is because Romans will tell you all about the gospel. It'll dive so deep into the, into the gospel. By the way, if you've never read that book, man, read that book. If you've never dove, in, dove into the Bible, dove in, div in, whatever, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you've never dove into the Bible before, I would start in the book of John um, and read uh, uh, um, Romans. Great, great books. But here's the thing. Romans is great because it'll teach you all about the Bible, or, or all about the gospel, but Galatians will not only teach you about the gospel, it'll teach you what the gospel is not. And so that's why Martin Luther actually said he would read this book before he ever even read Romans. Such a powerful book. In this book, several things that Paul's going to hammer home, but one of the things that he's going to hammer home is the fact that when we know the truth of the gospel, that's the key word, the truth of the gospel, we apply the truth of the gospel to our everyday lives, man. It will transform everything. It, it literally will transform the way we think, the way we act, the way we react, even the decisions, the choices that we make in life will be impacted by the gospel when we honestly know it and we apply the truth of the gospel to our lives. It changes us from the inside out, and it's evident to the world around us. It's amazing. Timothy Keller, I love what he says about the gospel. He says the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's not just the ABCs of our faith. It's literally the A to Z of the Christian life is the gospel. It is it's everything, man. And um, throughout this book, again, there's several things he's going to hammer home, Paul, the writer of this book. One of those things that we're going to see even from the very get-go, from the very beginning, is the fact that there is only one gospel and it never changes. That's our big idea today. There's only one gospel and, only, and it never changes. And what we're going to find at the heart of the gospel, if you were to kind of peel back the layers of the, of the gospel, the central piece, the, the focus of the gospel, what we find is that Jesus Christ is our everything. He is our all. He is our absolute. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is at the heart of this gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this gospel message. This gospel simply means good news, good news of Jesus Christ. What you have done for us, Jesus, God, in our place. We thank you so much. We submit to the fact that it is only because of you, Jesus, and what you have done for us on the cross that we are even able to gather here together today, that we have any kind of hope, future, anything to sing about at all because of what you have done. 
and we can claim the title of free. And not just in here, here now in this momentary life of vapor, but forever, for all of eternity because of what you have done. And we thank you so much when we submit to the fact that it's only because of you. God, I pray, I pray that you just, you help us to dive into this book as we read this. If people, you know, many of us have read this several times, I pray that you, you, you just open it up in a fresh new way. Help us to experience this book in a fresh new way. And help us to remember that this is you speaking to us, that you used Paul to, to, to write this, but, but ultimately this is you speaking to us. And I pray that there's people here that have never read this book, or more importantly, if there are people here that have never responded to the gospel message, then I, I pray, God, that you would open their hearts, their minds to the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and that they would actually begin to apply it to their life and that they would be changed and transformed to walk in victory because of what you have done. That's what I pray, God, here. And I pray also that we would be a people that would be consistently changed and transformed, not just once, but consistently on a consistent basis, changed and transformed by what you have done. Consistently making and molding us. God, I pray that you make us a lighthouse. People see as they see you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over, flood this place, help us to feel you tangibly. Speak to me, through me, a broken, sinful vessel that is in desperate need of you, Jesus. I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name and God's children said, amen. Amen. So this book of Galatians that we're going to be diving into, again, this is going to be several weeks that we'll be diving into this book. Um, this book was originally a letter that was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, and this letter was written to the Galatians, okay, or the, uh, a region, an area of Galatia. It was a region, an area. There were several churches in this region, in this area of Galatia, thus the name Galatians. And so this letter that Paul wrote, it circulated throughout all of these churches in this region of Galatia. And this message, this letter, was essentially a call. It was Paul's call to these churches, to these people, to get back to the truth of the gospel, to the heart of the gospel, and to start living their lives in light of the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give them and ultimately also died to give us. To get back to the truth of the gospel and start living their life in light of the freedom that Jesus died to give us. And as we kick this book off, we're going to go ahead and dive in here um, real quick in just a second. Um, we're just going to be in the first chapter, uh, the first 10 verses. And it may, we're not going to be anywhere else, no other reference text. That's it. First 10 verses. And that may seem like, man, that's not a whole lot. But I'm telling you, this is a small book, but it packs a big punch. And again, I want to allude to this. I alluded to it um, a little bit earlier with the devotion. Um, after the sermon, the text that we're going to be in today, the first 10 verses, that's going to be in the devotional throughout the week, a couple verses at a time, and then about a paragraph after that and a question every single day from Monday until Sunday morning. Then the next Sunday, that sermon, it'll, it'll kick off the next week's devotional. So please dive into that. You can get it on the app. You can get it. Um, if you don't have an app, a smartphone, um, then you can sign up to get it through an email burst every single day. So please dive into this. This is a way that we can engage with this book together. And here's the thing. If you do this every day, not only is this an, an incredible opportunity for you to start diving into the Bible every single day, also it's an incredible opportunity for you to dive into the Bible, talk about Jesus, the gospel as a family, but you will also read the entire book of Galatians, just a couple um, verses a day. So please um, get that app, check that out. Um, it was put together by several leaders within the church and a couple people outside. So first 10 chapters, let's kick this off. Galatians chapter one, verses just one and two at first. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So I love this, man. I love this. Just very, from the get-go, right out the gate, Paul is giving all props to Jesus. I mean, he's holding nothing back. He's not wasting any time. He's giving all props to Jesus. He's saying, hey, this ain't about me. This is about Jesus. What he's essentially saying is, this ain't about me. This ain't about you. This is about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Your eyes, your gaze, your focus should be on Jesus Christ. That is who this is all about. Not you, not me. And then he immediately follows that up by going straight to the cross and to the, the, the literal death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel, he does all of this, get this, in the very first verse. This is the first daggone verse in this whole book, in this whole letter. He is already spelling it out. Look at Jesus, spelling out the gospel, getting us to look at the cross, the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the very first verse of this letter, of this book. And all throughout Paul's letters, 
I love this, man. He is constantly basically shouting the name of Jesus, giving all honor, praise, and glory to Jesus Christ, calling us to understand the truths of the gospel and to apply the truths of the gospel to our life with every word, every phrase, every single syllable. Everything that he says, everything that he does has this intentionality behind it. It's just he's saying, look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. Know and apply the gospel to your life. Everything he does, everything he says has that intentionality behind it. And something else that he wants us to know right off the bat here is the fact that he's not speaking, he's not writing on his own authority. He is writing this on the authority that has been given to him by God, by God himself. The God of the universe has called him to be an apostle, to write him, that write to these people and ultimately also to us. That is where his authority, his power comes from. It's not from him, it's all from Jesus Christ. And this should cause us as the readers and the hearers, the listeners of this text, to kind of lean in, to, to want to know, okay, what does this dude have to say that has literally been given authority by the God of the universe to say this? What does he have to say? So we should be kind of leaning in. Ears should be kind of perking up to hear what this dude has to say. Let's keep on going. Um, verses 3 through 5. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So notice as soon, right off the bat, as soon as Paul starts describing who this Jesus is, the first thing that he mentions, the first thing that he says, is the fact that he gave himself for our sins to, catch this, rescue us. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Already right here, we have an incredible picture of Jesus. It tells us so much. Just that little bit right there tells us so much about Jesus. Right here when we, we see the, the words, he gave himself. In other words, he wasn't forced. He did this of his own volition. He did this willingly. He willingly gave himself for our sins. And that word for, it kind of carries with it this idea of a substitution. All right, this, an idea of a substitution. So a substitution is, is when you're substituting something, you are um, standing in the place of that thing. You're standing in the place of that person. You are substituting yourself in the place of that person. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, he's telling us that Jesus willingly gave himself as a substitute for what? For our sins. Why? To rescue us from this present evil age. In other words, you were once a prisoner held in bondage, held in captivity to your sins. But, but what? But Jesus. Then Jesus. Period. End of story. Exclamation point at the end. But Jesus. That's it, man. But Jesus. Jesus saved us by, by becoming the very sin that once marked us for death. The very sin that once separated us from, from, from the Father, from God. He literally took that sin onto himself, placed it on his back along the cross meant for you and for me, marched up Calvary, and died the death meant for us. And the question is, why? Why in the world would Jesus do this? Literally, God in flesh, he put our sins, the sins that we committed against him because he's God. We're the ones who did this, not him. Why would he take those sins that we committed against him, put it on his back, come down to earth in the form of a man, put it on his back, and die in our place? Why in the world this makes no sense? The answer, logic defined scandalous love and grace. Logic defined scandalous love and grace. And notice in this text, don't miss this, Paul mentions absolutely nothing that you and I have done to deserve this. Did you see that? There is nothing, not a single thing that is listed that you and I have done to deserve this. Not one. And catch this, that is intentional. That is intentional, man. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that we will ever be able to do uh, to deserve the grace of God found only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our, uh, in our place on the cross. Nothing. The only thing, the only part, I should say, that what we play in this story, the only part that we play um, in this gospel, in this message, is the part of the sinner. That's it. That's your part. That's my part. We do the sinning. Jesus does the saving. That's it. That is the gospel message. It's been said, I think it was, um, I think it was Jonathan Edwards, I believe that said this, kind of came to mind. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. Nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. We are the sinners. He is the Savior. That's it. That's the truth of the gospel right there. Guys, salvation cannot be bought, cannot be earned. It cannot be bargained for. It can only be accepted as a free 
And Paul is hitting hard on this. Right off the bat, man, the first five verses, he doesn't even give much of an intro. He's just like, bam, Jesus, bam, the gospel right there. First five verses, that's it. We're starting from the beginning. That was verses one through five of this letter. And the reason that he's doing this, he's hitting hard on this intentionally because he wants to set the tone from the get-go. He is setting the tone. Verse 1, he's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing us to the cross, the little death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then a couple of verses later, after verse 1, he's doing it all over again. Pointing to Jesus, pointing us to the cross, the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Grace alone, Christ alone. He is hitting hard on this. It's all about Jesus and the gospel, the truth of the gospel. I love this, man. And, and then he hammers it home. At the end of verse 5, he hammers his home, all about Jesus, all about the gospel. He hammers it home with this like doxology, essentially this song of praise. He just breaks out, man, and a song of praise to Jesus. Check out what he says. To him be the glory forever and ever. Oh, man. After he spent all those verses doing nothing but just look at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. Look at the cross, death, burial, resurrection. To him be the glory forever and ever. Oh, man. All about Jesus, I love that, man. We could just go home right now. Goodness. This is, oh, oh so much meat to this. And, and here we go, man. We're already home. I love it. And after, and after he spent um, all these verses, his first five verses, hitting hard on Jesus and the gospel, he then shifts. He shifts gears. And it's a pretty dramatic shift. We're going to see it here in just a moment. We're going to see that he's not too happy. He ain't too happy. Um, he is pulling out the big, glove, um, big guns. In other words, the gloves are are off, and he is straight calling these guys out. We're going to see this shift pretty instantly, actually. Let's check this out, verses 6 through 10. He says, I am amazed. Listen to his language here. Read his language here. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you. Let me get back to the text here. Here we go. Amazing. You were so quickly turning away from one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. We have said this before. Hmm. Sorry, I'll just think about something. Um, as we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. I just realized something here. I'm going to keep on going in this text. I'm sorry. A curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For I, am I now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I love this, man. I love this. So Paul is straight up in this text. You hear the language. He is astonished. He is shocked by what's going on, and he is straight ticked um, as well. I mean, you hear the language. I am amazed that you were so quickly. He's practically shouting these words. And what he's essentially doing in this text, man, he's giving them this, like, loving kick in the butt. Like, what are you doing? I am shocked. I am amazed. Why? The text tells us they have turned away from the truth of the gospel. They have turned away from the truth of the gospel. That's the reason that he starts off this letter nailing home the truth of the gospel from the very beginning. Grace, 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 grace alone, Christ alone. That's why he's nailing these truths home. And don't miss the words he says so quickly, so quickly. So in other words, it hadn't even taken that long. It hadn't even been that long since Paul was with them, preaching to them about the truth of the gospel, explaining to them about the truth of the gospel. And now here they are, midway down a slippery slope, going who knows where. And a couple of the reasons that Paul is so emotional in this text, because you hear his emotion in this text, very emotional uh, book for Paul. And other than the obvious, the fact that they had turned away from the truth of the gospel, a couple of the reasons is he cares so deeply for these people. He cares so deeply for them. He loves them so much. And he knows that they're, they're, if they keep on going down this road that they're going on, that they're going to destroy their lives. I mean, think about that. Put yourself in those shoes, man. If there's somebody that you love so much and they're doing something, maybe it's like a, a spouse or a very, very close friend or a, a kid, because probably a kid is the best reference in this text right here. If your kid is doing something and you know they're destroying their lives, they're going down this road where it's like going to lead to death, 
What are you going to do? You want to like go up and hug them and at the same time you want to slap them? Like, what are you doing? Quit it. You're going to destroy your life. And you see this in this text. He's so emotional because he cares so deeply. He loves them so much. And the other reason is because he's risked so much to start this church. He has risked so much to start this church. I mean, Acts and also Corinthians kind of outlines some of the things that Paul did. And when you go and you read a lot of the things this guy put up with, it is crazy. It is like, how in the world did this guy even live as long as he did? He was shipwrecked several times, several days without food, without shelter, um, uh, all the time, just on the road. He was, he was uh, constantly in fear for his life from robbers, from thieves. People constantly wanted to kill this dude. All the time, he was beaten several times. In fact, some commentaries think that he actually walked around with a limp. That may have been one of the things that he was talking about with a thorn in the flesh. He couldn't see very well. I mean, all kinds of things that this guy went through. He was imprisoned several times, a couple of times, and for several years, he was in prison, by the way. He went through so much, and he went through so much to start this church, and he lived with them, and he taught them the truth of the gospel, and now it hadn't even been that long, and he's gone. And all of a sudden, they're already turning away from the truth of the gospel. They're already drifting. Guys, this is similar to, this kind of reminds me of the Israelites in the desert. You think about the Israelites back in Egypt in the desert. So God had freed them. He he rose, rise, raised, whatever, raised up Moses. And Moses goes up, talks to Pharaoh on God's behalf. And these, these guys see all these incredible miracles. Tons of miracles. I mean, and if you just seen one of those miracles, that alone would be enough. I mean, think about that. The Red Sea parting? Are you kidding me? That's incredible. They see all these miracles. They are freed from Egypt, which, by the way, they have been in captivity and slavery for a long, long, long time. They are freed. And then it doesn't take long at all. Just weeks later, they are already, weeks later, after they've been freed from God, seeing all these miracles, they fashion this golden calf. It's literally, they take a bunch of gold, they fashion this calf. That's what it is. They call it God. They start worshiping it as God in place of the one true God that had just freed them from Egypt. That's just straight up crazy, man. That doesn't make any sense. It's just like, are you kidding me? What in the world are you doing? But in the same way, these Galatians, it hadn't even been long since Paul had been with them preaching them the truth of the gospel day in and day out, doing life together with them. When he went to these churches, he wasn't there for a couple of days, guys. He would stay with them for a while, sometimes even, you know, like several months, a couple of years, day in and day out doing life together with them. And he also did miracles. This was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, knew the gospel better than most anyone. And he also performed miracles. And don't think that he didn't perform miracles there with them, healing people, driving demons out of people, all these kind of different things. They saw the power of God. They knew he was called by God. He saw Jesus. They knew the gospel message. It was spelled out Barney style to them time and time and time and time again. Time again. And now they're already turning away from the truth of the gospel. But more importantly, more importantly, the reason, one of the main reasons that Paul is so upset is because they haven't just turned away from the gospel. Catch me on this. They have not just turned away from the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Timothy Keller says it best when he says, to lose one's grip of the true gospel is to desert and lose Christ himself. Let me say that again. To lose one's grip of the true gospel is to desert and lose Christ himself. Because we have to understand that when we turn from the truth of the gospel, we are literally turning from Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. When we alter it just a little bit, add just a little bit, take away just a little bit, alter it at all, we are turning away from Jesus Christ himself. Paul says it himself when he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you. Turning away from him who called you. And all of this begs the question, what happened? What in the world happened to these guys that knew the gospel, would preach the gospel by one of the greatest evangelists ever, day in and day out. What happened to them? And uh, we're going to dive into that a lot deeper in the weeks to come, but I want to give you kind of a nutshell example and a reason here, kind of what happened. In a nutshell, they essentially had been indoctrinated. Several people had come in and indoctrinated with this false gospel, this, this gospel where um, it's a works-based salvation. You have to work your way right, to earn God's um, approval, to earn your salvation. They, they were being told that they needed to keep the Mosaic law, 
They had to keep all of these laws, all these rituals, but they had to do it um, not, not for God necessarily, just because they love him, not out of a love for God, but they had to do it in order to please God. Works-based salvation. But guys, we have to understand that completely contradicts the gospel of grace. Grace alone, Christ alone. You have never, you will never be able to deserve the, God, the, the grace of God that is found only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ in your place on the cross, ever. The Galatians' problem wasn't failing to be obedient to God. Catch this. It wasn't, their, their problem was not failing to be obedient to God. Their problem lied in relying on their obedience to God. That was where their problem was. They were relying on their obedience to God. In other words, let me say it like this. They were relying on obedience and works rather than on the grace of God. We're relying on obedience and works rather than the grace of God. We have to understand that if we add absolutely anything at all to the grace of Christ alone for salvation, we are completely distorting the gospel and turning it into something that is no gospel at all. It is a complete lie, even with the smallest addition. Even with the smallest addition. I want to kind of illustrate this. I want to show you something here. Um, all right. So here, I've got a few things. Baby wipes. Um, yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. All right, so first thing right here, I've got this brownie, and I'm just going to start eating this brownie as I preach to you, because this looks really good. I'm actually really tempted to do that. This looks really good. So this is a brownie. It is delicious. It is so good. My wife uh, baked several brownies, so um, if you would like one, um, I think we can get one at the end. I'm not sure where they are. They probably hit them somewhere. Somebody might be eating them right now. I don't know. Somebody needs to go back there and check. But... um, Um, but anyway, so there's a bunch of brownies at the end. Um, if you would like one, just I'm going to ask everybody just to get one so we can all um, share this. But, but yeah, they're really, really good. It, it literally is a brownie. Um, and here's the thing. This brownie, who, who in here likes brownies, man? Come on. Who in, come on. There you go. If you love Jesus, you're going to love brownies, right? I mean, come on now. There are going to be brownies in heaven. I am convinced of this. And there are going to be healthy brownies as well. Um, right next to uh, KFC and McDonald's. What's that? Yeah, no. oh, but they're going to be healthy. They're going to be good. All right, so, so what I want to do, this is a brownie. Man, these are so good. I love it. Um, now, this is some good stuff right here. We got, some, we got some mud. We got some rocks. There might be some, like, worm guts and twigs. I think there's some twigs in here, a little bit of yeah, worm guts or something. There we go. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take this brownie, right? Can, every, can you guys see this? We'll take this brownie. I'm going to kind of, like, peel it open a little bit. It's probably just going to crumble, but that's okay. But what I'm going to do is take, it's not a whole lot of stuff, just a few little things, kind of put that in there, a few rocks, got about three rocks and some mud and a couple twigs and uh, grass and some worm guts in there. There we go. All right. Look at that, man. That looks good, right? Woo! I can't, well, I'm going to eat this. Oh, man, this looks so good. All right. Here we go. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Where are my manners at? Come on, man. Here you go. Who wants it? You ready? You ready for this? You, somebody want this? You, I'm not going to give this to you, man. You guys are coming. I knew I should have known the kids are going to come up here. Now, you ain't going to take this, but here's the thing. What's the, here's, the, here's the question. Why wouldn't we eat that? That is like 95% brownie. I mean, honestly, like the vast majority of this is still brownie, right? You can't, even, you can't even see the other stuff that I put in there, you little grass hanging out, but now we covered it up. You can't even see it. That looks like a brownie, right? That looks good, man. I mean... This is 95% brownie. Why would we not eat that thing? Well, the obvious reason for the baby wipes. Because you add anything at all like that, it completely distorts it. It changes it into something different. Because in the same way, if you add anything at all to the gospel, you add just a tiny bit. I mean, even just a little bit. You take away just a little bit. It completely distorts it. It changes it into something that is no gospel at all, and it does not save. It does not save. Why is this so important? Because, guys, we have to understand, this isn't a game. This isn't some random message that I'm telling you. This is literally a message about life and death. There are souls hanging in the balance. There are literally tons of people today walking around thinking that they are saved, that they are Christians because they've been fed some false gospel. But the thing is, the truth of it is, they are still as lost as the first day they stepped through church doors because they have been fed a lie. There are souls hanging in the balance 
This is important. This is about life and death. And it is a slippery slope. We've got to understand that. It is such a slippery slope. It doesn't take much at all. When Satan attacks you, don't think that he's going to attack you way out here all the time, and you're going to be able to see it coming. He attacks you in ways and areas where you are weak. Maybe you don't know something, or you got somebody coming in and tells you something really good, and it just kind of seems like it lines up, but then it's off just a little bit before you know it. With time, you're way out here headed straight towards a spiritual cliff. That's what he does. He's a strategist. He is the ultimate deceiver, and he is the best at it. And then in verses 8 and 9, Paul ramps it up as though he could ramp this up more. He ramps it up. He's not done yet. He says, if anybody preaches a gospel, um, a different gospel, no matter who they are, I don't care if it's the greatest evangelist ever. Paul himself, he includes himself in this. I don't care if they've done all these incredible things for people, Mother Dagon, Teresa, all the things that they've done for people. It doesn't matter. If If they add anything at all to the gospel, heck, even says, Paul even says, if an angel were to come down from heaven, from the throne room of God to the earth and start preaching a different gospel, a gospel contrary to the true gospel, he says, a curse be on them. A curse be on them. What does this mean? Meaning that if anybody preaches anything at all other than the truth of the gospel, it is a lie, it is deception. They are literally being used by the father of lies, the father of deception, Satan himself, and they are eternally condemned for their actions. That's what he means. This is serious, guys. It should not be taken lightly. Why? Again, because there are souls hanging in the balance. This is literally playing games with people's lives, with people's souls. Just because somebody sounds good or talks good, talks well, talks about the Bible, talks good, there you go, um, it talks about the Bible, talks about Jesus, doesn't mean that they're telling you the truth of the gospel. And we've got to understand that and take that very seriously because, again, this is very dangerous. Just because someone talks well, they talk about the Bible, they know a lot about the Bible, they mention the name of Jesus, they even mention the cross, does not mean that they are telling us the truth of the gospel. In Acts, there is a guy that meets this description. Well, well, kind of. His name was Simon. Simon the sorcerer, actually. Acts chapter 8, I believe. Simon the sorcerer. And uh, it's like 9 through 25, I believe, of the verses. And um, so this guy, he was very good at what he did extremely good. People, he was so good, people loved him. I mean, literally, the text tells us um, that everybody, uh, from the least to the greatest, they all were intrigued by this guy. They couldn't get enough of him. They wanted to, to, to know more. They were following this dude. They couldn't get enough. They loved it. They literally even gave him the name, get this, Great Power of God. That was the name they gave this dude. People came from all over to hear this guy, and they were just swarming him. If he were here today, he would have been like the top guy on YouTube, on, um, you know, on TV. He was legit, man. This dude was great at what he did. People would have loved him if he were here today. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What he was teaching, what he was doing, it was all a lie. It was all deception. He was very good at it, the best around. But it was a lie. It was deception, and it did not save. And then later as we trace his story, Um, In the book of Acts, again, I believe chapter 8, you see his motives actually coming out. And the motives behind what he was doing, the reason that he was doing, the heart in it, was he ultimately wanted control. He wanted power. He wanted to use people. He wanted to please people. He wanted people to like him. He wanted to increase his popularity because through that, what happened is it would puff him up. And essentially what he was doing is he was using these people, trying to get their attention and trying to get their, you know, then to like him and get this popularity built up so he could use them as stepping stools to elevate himself. Very prideful. Very, very prideful. And we see that coming out in his life as we trace that story to the end. And in verse 10, the very last verse that we're going to be in today, Paul hits on this very issue by saying, For am I now trying to persuade people for God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And the the, the word persuade in this text, it could actually be switched out with the word uh, approval. So in other words, what Paul is saying, am I trying to gain the approval of people or of God? And another way of saying this is, do I care more about how I dress, how I look, what I say? Um, if I'm liked or respected by people, do I care more about that, what you guys think, than I do about honoring God and staying true to his word? That's essentially what he's saying here. 
In the early 300s AD, there was a bishop by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius, he stood for the uh, truth of the gospel, for the biblical Jesus, in a day and in an age where it was very unpopular. There were a lot of people that were against him, but he stood firmly on the truth of the gospel um, for the biblical Jesus. And a lot of these people that were against him opposed him, actually told him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. I can just hear them saying this, man, the whole world is against you, essentially trying to get him to turn away from his, his stance on the gospel, the truth of the gospel and the biblical Jesus. The whole world's against you. You might as well give up. And this is what his reply was. Then I am against the whole world. And I am against the whole world. Athanasius gives us an incredible example to follow as Christians, to stand firmly on the truth of the gospel, never relenting, even if the whole world is against. But here's the thing we have to understand. Just understanding, knowing and understanding the gospel is not enough. Get that understanding and knowing the gospel is not enough. You can have this book, the Bible, memorized from cover to cover. You can know the gospel well. You can preach the gospel. You can teach the gospel. I heard a story recently, get this, of a preacher that got saved and baptized after he was a preacher. You can know the truth of the gospel and the Bible extremely well. That's not going to cut it. We've also got to apply the truths of the gospel to our everyday life in order for it to change us. That's the key, change us from the inside out. And so for the last few minutes, what I want to do is I want us to dive in together into a few practical ways that we can begin to apply the never-changing gospel to our everyday lives. Three basic ways that we're going to just touch on, just mention as we end here today. The first one is Living with gospel centrality. Live with gospel centrality. What does that mean? Gospel centrality, living with gospel centrality, all that means is living with the gospel at the center of your life. Living with the gospel at the center of your life. And what that does, when we live with the gospel at the center of our life, we're looking for the gospel in everything. What that does, it shifts our focus from a me focus to a Jesus focus. Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? And looking for Jesus and what he's done in the gospel and everything that we do, our everyday lives, no matter where we go, no matter who we're in contact with, no matter the situation, the circumstances that we find ourselves, who is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this? Where is the gospel in this? What does this remind me of? That's what that does. And the thing is, guys, we have to work at this. This doesn't just happen overnight. This is something that we have to work on. We have to train ourselves to look for the gospel in everything. And everything that we do. And here's the thing. Don't overcomplicate this. Don't overcomplicate this. A couple practical, practical ways that you can do this. When you wake up in the morning, as soon as you, you wake up, your feet hit the ground, start thinking, man, how do I have breath in my lungs? And if you're like me, you might need to get some coffee and like take a couple of minutes because the brain ain't even working. Like don't even like talk to me in the morning. I'm just saying I'm grumpy. But after you get your coffee, you wake up, you can actually think a little bit, ask yourself, how am I walking around? How am I breathing right now? Where is this breath in my lungs coming from? How, how am I doing this? How am I alive? Do you realize the millions, billions of miracles that it takes for you to be alive? You want to look for a miracle? People use this excuse. Well, I want to see a miracle. What happened to all those miracles that happened back in Acts? They still happen the exact same way, actually. Um, but here's the thing. You want a miracle? Here, here, take your hand. Everybody do this. Take your hand. I want you to put your hand, your fingers right here. You feel that? What is that? That is a pulse. You are a walking, breathing, talking, moving miracle. Billions of miracles. Every single moment of every single day, there is your miracle. Billions of miracles. Look in the mirror, man. Look in the mirror. Remind yourself of these things. How is my heart beating? Where is the breath coming from? I mean, what's keeping me alive? And the fact that you've given him a hope and a promise of a brand new day. And not only a hope of a promise of a brand new day here and now in this momentary life of vapor, as James calls it, but also for eternity. You have been given hope to live for eternity. A brand new day forever. And it's all because of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. When you look in the mirror, as you go to brush your teeth, you go to wash your face or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, ladies, putting on the makeup. Guys, don't be doing that, right? The ladies put on the makeup. I don't know. Some guys do that, I guess. Um, but I, um, anyways, you, you go, you look in the mirror, whatever you're doing in the mirror. Remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself who you are. You, you may be struggling with sins. Guess what? We all are. And people that say they're not, they're lying. I struggle every day. 
And, and that reminds me of my continual need for Jesus. And so I, I'm not ashamed to say that I struggle because when I say that I struggle, when I say that I'm a sinner, I'm also saying that I'm in desperate need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to say that. But here's the thing. You may struggle, but as a Christian, you are not defined by your struggles. You're not defined by your sins. When you look into the mirror, you are not the sins that you are struggling with. You are a loved, named child of God. You are a loved, named son or daughter of the king of the universe. That is who you are. Why? Because of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. The moment that he died, the father tore the veil from top to bottom, meaning we had access to the father. And so because of Jesus, because of his death, we now, when we look up to God, we can cry out to him, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. And it's all because of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. When you look at your spouses, your children, your family, you can remind yourself that I am blessed to have um, family and also your, your, your deep friends, your, your close friends. You can remind yourself how blessed you are to have these people in your life and this family. But here's the thing. You've also been given an eternal forever family. Remind yourself of that. You've been given an eternal forever family. This isn't just here. This isn't just now. You will never lose that family. That is forever. And it also reminds us of our continual need to tell our family and our friends, the ones that are closest to us, about the truth of the gospel, to tell them about this forever family so that they can also be a part of this forever family, so that we won't just be a family here and now in this momentary life of vapor, but we will be a family forever, and nothing will be able to separate us. Nothing. Tell your family, the ones you are closest to, about the gospel. Last thing in this little bit right here, when you read the Bible, Everything in the Bible, every, every, the, the covenants, um, the, the testament, that's also interchangeable with covenant. So new covenant, uh, new testament. Um, so the covenants, the books, the, the, the chapters, the verses, everything in the Bible points to the gospel. There's gospel centrality within the Bible itself. The overarching theme of the gospel, of, of the entire Bible is the gospel message. So look for the gospel in everything that you read when you dive into the Bible. The second way, that was the first way, living with gospel centrality, the second way that we begin to apply the never-changing gospel to our everyday lives is by living to please God, not people. Living to please God, not people. In verse 10, Paul says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Don't miss that part. If I were still trying to please people, what does that tell us? Paul used to be a people pleaser. He used to be a people pleaser. He was a Pharisee. He was like one of the top dogs. He was young too, so he worked his way up the ladder very young. Very, very good at this. He was all about pleasing people, doing what people like, looking the part, saying the right things to please people. He was very good at it, and he was able to work his way up the ladder. That's why he says, if I were still trying to please people. And then we go back to verse 10, and we hone in the last part of that. If I were still trying to please people, what? I would not be servant of Christ. Don't miss that. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what this is saying, if you are living your life constantly trying to please people, doing everything that you can to try to just center your life around people, doing good things for people, I just I want to please them, I want to do good things for them, then what that means, what we're doing ultimately is we're trying to find our fulfillment, we're trying to find our satisfaction, our sense of purpose, our very identity in these people. And here's the thing, you can't find your sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, and identity in these people, and at the same time, try to find your sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, sense of purpose, and identity in Jesus Christ. You cannot do that. It is one or the other. Either we will be a slave to people, live our life to people, enslaved by them, trying to earn their favor and, and earn things from them that they can never give us, they've never been able to give us, or we can choose to submit our lives to Jesus Christ and to follow it's one or the other. But here's the question that's kind of generated from that. How do we love on and serve people? How do we fulfill the new commandment, which Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he did this in light of the fact that he was about to go to the cross. This is sacrificial love. How do we do that and at the same time not live our lives trying to please people? And the answer is by doing everything out of a heart that beats for Jesus Christ. By doing everything out of a heart that beats for Jesus when you do something out of love for somebody, remember that you are ultimately doing it for Jesus, that Jesus is essentially standing behind that person. Do it out of a love for Jesus. I'm doing this because I love you, but I ultimately, I love Jesus. I want to do this for Jesus. When you are serving people, being the hands and feet, when you're going to the community kitchen, the Burke United Christian Ministries uh, kitchen over there that we're going to be going to June 17th, you're not just serving people. You can love on people, but ultimately we love Jesus. We want to serve Jesus. When you love on people, we're loving on Jesus. When you serve people, you are serving Everything that you do, do it out of a heart 
that beats for Jesus Christ. And the last way that we apply the never-changing gospel to our everyday lives is by killing pride. Killing pride. Pride tells us that we don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody else. I got this together. And ultimately, I deserve this. Like entitlement, right? I deserve this. I deserve this salvation stuff, right? I deserve, man, Jesus should have died in my place, right? I'm not that bad, right? I deserve that. That's what, that's what pride tells us. But here's the thing. We got to understand, guys. We've got to understand this. We do not deserve anything. Nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. And until we understand the depths of our own sin, we will never be able to understand the depths of God's grace. Ever. We will simply cheapen it and water it down with feel-good encouragement that does not save. We all struggle with pride, every one of us, and we have to consistently, actively kill the pride in our lives in order to honestly live for Jesus. Honestly. You cannot be God over your life at the same time as Jesus. That throne was never meant for you. It's meant for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. When we start living with gospel centrality, when we start living to please God and not people, and when we actively, consistently, daily kill the pride in our lives, that is when we can begin the process of applying the never-ending gospel to our everyday lives and thereby change the inside. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I want to make sure that as we're ending that it's very, very clear that the things that we just talked about, the, the application part at the end, that, that's for Christians. So in other words, that means that is for followers of Christ, people that have already submitted their life to Jesus Christ, living for him, following him, are already saved. That's that application. If you are not a Christian, if you have never responded to the gospel men- message, then that means the Bible is very clear that you're not in a right relationship with God. That's what that means. And I don't tell you that out of, hey, you're pointing my finger at you, man. Because it's nothing that I've done. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. I tell you that because I love you and I want you to know the truth. But I want you to also know that you can respond to that truth today. You do not have to leave here the same. You may not be in a right relationship with God right now, but you can be in a right relationship with him right here, right now, in an instant. And you can walk out of here a changed person. So how, what do I do? Acts very clearly tells us the only two responses to the gospel message, only two, Acts chapter 2, to repent and be baptized. That's it. Repent and be baptized. What does repentance mean? What's that all about? All that means is turning away from these other things that we put up on a pedestal in the place of God. Whatever that is, I don't know what that looks like in your life, turning away from those things, saying, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's pride. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, material possessions. Maybe it's power, money, um, relationships, yourself, putting yourself on a pedestal in the place of God. Does that mean that you have to live under a, a bridge and eat beanie weenies the rest of your life? No, it doesn't mean that. But what that means is you put God in that place. On, you, you just accept the fact that God is on the throne and nothing else can be. And submit to him as God, as Lord and Savior over your life alone. That's what that means. You turn to him and follow him, trusting in him. And then be baptized. Baptism is simply the public display of an internal transformation where you are literally preaching a sermon to yourself and the people around you. You are saying, I belong So if that's you today and you've never responded to the gospel message, then again, you can respond right here, right now. He loves you. He will meet you where you're at. He will save you where you're at. We're going to stand together. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing one last song together. And as we sing, you respond. Whether you're here today, you've never responded to the gospel, God's putting that on your heart, or you are a Christian, and there's other things God's putting on your heart to repent of. Don't wait to respond to him. He loves you. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me 
uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me. What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. And I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in his direction. And, and the other thing, too, is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.